And welcome once again to another edition of A Plain Answer right here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf. Joining me in the studio today, the Reverend Mark Diedrich. Good to be here. And Mark, I see you've brought along your dad with you. His name is Bill Diedrich. Bill, it's nice to have you with us. Nice to be here. And uh, you don't have a mic, but uh, (laughs) thanks for joining us in the studio. Also today is Dr. Hans Vogt, Professor, Ulster County Community College. Good morning. Well, gentlemen, it's uh, really a delight to have you here. And uh, our listeners right away know that this probably is going to be a discussion pertaining to some aspect of history, because Dr. Vogt is here. And uh, yes, indeed, that is the case. And the other day, I received an email from Hans, and he suggested that we do a program on the War of 1812. Hans, maybe you can tell us why that's an appropriate thing to talk about today. Well, this is the 200th anniversary of the start of that war. Uh, Congress uh, declared war on June 17th, 1812. Okay. Okay. I'd like to emphasize it was Congress that declared war, (laughs) as the Constitution requires. No, I've never heard of that happening before. (laughs) That's a sore spot here in the room. (laughs) The War of 1812, 200 years ago. Um, You know, prior to receiving your note, I must confess a, a fault of mine. Um, I drew a complete blank regarding the War of 1812. You know, if it had been the Revolutionary War, that would mean something to me. The Civil War, the Korean, the Vietnam, you know, World War II, uh, the more recent Gulf Wars. But the War of 1812, I drew a complete blank. Can someone help us? What is this war all about? And, And what are some of the events that led up to the War of 1812? Well, you knew and it took place, right? Well, I think so. 1812. <laughs> yeah, about yeah. 200 years ago. <laughs> you, you know, one of the things, you know, that leads up to this whole thing is the French Revolution. Yes. Actually, you start it uh-huh. at the French Revolution, and when the wheels came off the French Revolution, you know, because it was not based on the Reformation, it was based on Enlightenment, and you have uh, guillotine being the cry there and, and people getting fed up with that. Well, one of the individuals who was uh, part of that whole thing was Napoleon, and Napoleon had been down, and he was he was uh, fighting in Egypt at the time when the thing started to fall apart, and he said, you know, he headed back up, and he said, uh, there's some stability needed here, and he decided he was the one to give it stability. <laughs> Long story short, Hans would probably do a better job, but he, he basically uh, took over the Republic, and then as he had more and more success... He decided he could grow his empire, and uh, Hans points out he's he's got all of Europe. He's eventually trying to isolate England. Right. I mean, you have to remember that 200 years ago, the U.S. was a small country. It had a very small army of only about 3,000 men. Uh, it had a small navy. Uh, it was not, in other words, the global superpower that it is today. And the U.S. found itself caught between... Uh, literally a rock and a hard place between Great Britain and France, who were basically engaged in this global showdown. I mean, in many ways, the Napoleonic Wars of the early 1800s, that was a world war. It was, in mm-hmm. some ways, the first world war. Oh, uh, yes. And, um, you know, the, the U.S. was, on the one hand, making a lot of money as the largest neutral carrier in the world, mm-hmm. selling our, our food to all sides. But on the other hand, both Britain and France wanted to stop that. That is, they wanted to continue to receive food and supplies from the U.S. They didn't want the enemy to. Mm-hmm. Um, so what happens by 1805 is you have a stalemate. The British 
are unstoppable on the water. They destroy the French Navy at Trafalgar in October of 1805, uh, Lord Nelson's great victory. Um, but two months later, in December, um, the French destroy uh, the, the armies opposed against them at Austerlitz. So you have France can't be beaten on land, Britain can't be beaten on water, you have a stalemate, both sides turn to economic warfare. Mm-hmm. And each tries to blockade the other and prevent the U.S. from trading with the enemy, and that leaves the U.S. caught in the middle. So during this time, uh, Britain and France are at war with each other, and it's a fairly significant war. Oh, uh, yes. Okay. All right, and, and, and here's America trying to export our goods um, to sell to both Britain and to France. Okay. Yes. All right. Yeah. And you have, That's helpful. You have a big pulling, what is the Continental Plan. Right. And he's got, he's got everybody basically supposedly isolating Great Britain. Of course, a lot of these countries really want Great Britain's goods. And you get some of them who start to uh, waver on this. You get Spain. You get Russia. And at that point, uh, you know, Napoleon starts really attacking these nations, and that's, that's what you have. You, you look at what's going on. I think the problem that Great Britain had, as far as we were concerned, is they were the most successful at sea. And that was the, where the most the problem was, mm-hmm. because it was at sea. In addition to that, the American Revolution wasn't that long ago. Yes, the Brits still treated us with no respect. Let's be honest about this. And France had been our ally. Mm-hmm. And why is Napoleon so bad after all? Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm just looking at the clock here. Pretty soon we're going to just take a break. But um, before our break, uh, let me just uh, ask the question. Here's the situation: You've got Britain and France at war. You've got. Um, uh, bad feelings starting to develop um, from the Americans towards both Britain and France. Um, and that is because, uh, why? Because these ports were being closed off to our ships? Is that what's going on here? Well, Americans' ships were being seized, uh, seized. by both the British and the French on the high seas. Uh-huh. Uh, and the British had, not only did they have this naval blockade of the continent of Europe, mm-hmm. but they declared the right to seize all neutral shipping even if the goods in question were shipped to the U.S. first and cleared customs there. Shipped to the U.S. port first. Right. In other words, okay. they were claiming the right to, to directly interfere with neutral shipping between wow. the U.S. Mm-hmm. and other countries. So that's not very nice. Well, the U.S. claimed it was a violation <laughs> of international law, but sure. international law is very nebulous even now and even more so mm-hmm. 200 years ago. Mm-hmm. And... Britain's argument was basically might makes right. We Britannia rules the waves. We're going to do what we need yes. to do on the, on the oceans. Yeah. Okay. Well, what we'll do is we'll take a break. When we come back, we'll take a look at uh, how the sides formed, who was fighting who. After that, we'll then talk about this interesting character, uh, Tecumseh. Uh, there's something called War Hawks and, you know, a number of things related to the War of 1812. And as we take this break, we'll listen to the 1812 Overture, the grand finale by Tchaikovsky. Stay with us. We'll be right back.
We'll be right back with our program in just a minute. Now a reminder that your gifts to this ministry enable us to bring you thoughtful, Christ-centered programming 24 hours a day. Would you prayerfully consider helping us with a tax-deductible gift this month? Redeemer Broadcasting is a 501c3 not-for-profit broadcast ministry. We're entirely listener-supported and have no advertisements. If you would like to help support us this month, and perhaps in the future, our mailing address is Redeemer Broadcasting, Post Office Box 1520, Olive Bridge, New York, 12461. Once again, Redeemer Broadcasting, Post Office Box 1520, Olive Bridge, New York, 12461. Stay with us now for the second half of our program. And welcome back. You're tuned to A Plain Answer right here at Redeemer Broadcasting. You know, you got to love those cannons in that 1812 overture. I'm Dan Elmendorf. In the studio with me today, the Reverend Mark Diedrich and his dad, Bill Diedrich, as well as Dr. Hans Vogt. Today we're talking about the War of 1812. Now, uh, Hans, could you help us understand um, how this thing started to take shape uh, in terms of who was fighting who, and was there a declaration of war, and when did that occur? Well, we said that the, before the break the U.S. was caught in the middle here between Britain and France, and the initial way they tried to handle that was to declare an embargo. Basically, we won't trade with anybody. And uh, that proved to be disaster, particularly mm-hmm. for New England merchants mm-hmm. who were up in arms and uh, were saying all kinds of nasty things about President Jefferson, and the more he tried to enforce it, the more they uh, broke the rules. Um, New Englanders had always been good at smuggling, and uh, they continued to be good at that. So there's some tensions here even in our own nation. Oh, yes. Ah, yes. Okay. Um, Now, you also have tensions in the West as well. One of the things to remember is that after the Revolutionary War and the Treaty of Paris is signed, uh, the British never evacuated their forts. Uh, in the nor- what was then the Northwest Territory. And they continued to um, make arrangements with the Native Americans living in that region and encourage them to resist the encroachment of white American settlers. And this is where um, one of the key figures comes in, uh, Tecumseh, mm. and his brother, Tenskwatawa, the prophet. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, they are Shawnees, and what they tried to do is organize the Confederation of All Native Americans. Uh, and Tecumseh basically says to all of his fellow Native Americans, look, we've been pushed from the ocean to the lakes. We have nowhere else to go. We have to make our stand. We have to fight. Now, before we open the mics, um, I think even before you walked in, Hans, um, Mark Diedrich, you had mentioned something regarding the Indians, and that is they were uh, separate nations. Can you can you That's elaborate right. on that the, a little the, bit more? The, there are a lot of uh, all kinds of different separate nations, and they fought against each other tooth and nail hmm. all the time. And consequently, the move through these areas was uh, we were able to do that. But they were separate nations, and and Tecumseh had done a good job of trying to bring them together. Okay. Unfortunately, as Hans mentioned, he also has his brother doing this, Tenskatawa, and he, his basis of it, he is not a warrior. He is a, if you will, a, a shaman, shaman, a prophet, yeah, yeah. A shaman mm-hmm. and a prophet, and he brings them all together basically in an anti-Christian format. Mm-hmm. Total opposition, total bringing together to the ancient pagan Indian religions. And uh, one of the dirty little secrets that people don't realize is uh, he killed witches. Mm-hmm. He killed more witches than the Salem witch trial people did. <laughs> okay. And uh, uh, I think this was really their downfall because basically they spit in the face of God. Mm-hmm. Now, as this thing developed, um, Hans, you had uh, shared with us a um, a letter here from President James Madison. Uh, it's called his War Message to Congress, and this shows how brainwashed I am. As I was starting to read this, I had forgotten about our whole discussion about Congress declaring war. You know, I was starting to read this, and I thought, okay, where's the punchline where he says we are declaring war? So he, I was wondering if you can explain uh, this this letter to us from James Madison to the Congress for a moment. Right. Well, what the Constitution actually says is that while the president is commander-in-chief of the armed forces, the power to declare war rests with Congress alone. Mm-hmm. Um, now, we've forgotten that because the last time Congress declared war was World War II. World War II. So we've fought all kinds of wars since then over the past 70 years, and uh, we've done it solely mm-hmm. on presidential authority without Congress mm-hmm. Uh, declaring war. But that is what the Constitution says. So Madison makes the case to Congress and says, okay, we've tried uh, the embargo, we've tried um, Macon's Bill Number 2, which essentially said, well, we'll trade with the British and French, but we'll cut whichever country gives in to what we want, we will renew the embargo against the other country. Yes. Um, Impressment was another big issue, uh, where the British were stopping American ships uh, sometimes, in, in the case of the, the infamous Chesapeake incident, uh, the USS Chesapeake was attacked right off the mm-hmm. coast of Virginia mm-hmm. um, by the uh, HMS Leopard and uh, just to seize four deserters, as the British said, off the ship. Um, right. So this issue of, of seizing um, American – now, in some cases, these sailors who were being seized were deserters from the British Navy. In some cases, they were – British immigrants who had become American citizens. In some cases, they were native-born Americans. Britain really didn't care. Britain sure. wanted sailors. This is how they got sailors for the Royal Navy at home. Um, <laughs> and uh, this is how they were getting them overseas. But it, it was certainly something that greatly angered uh, the Americans. So you get this embargo imposed upon America, and then you also have this, what do you call it, impressment, mm-hmm. where American sailors are taken by the British Navy, I guess. 
I think this whole thing, Madison makes a, a good case for war, but at the end of it, I don't know that he really presses it very much. It's kind of like, okay, Congress, that, what are you going to do about it? You know what? And, that, and it's that kind is, of interesting. That is a that. fascinating point. I want to read a quote. This is from uh, his letter that Hans shared with us, and he, and he says this towards the end, um, whether the United States shall continue passive under these progressive usurpations and these accumulating wrongs, or opposing force to force in defense of their national rights— shall commit a just cause into the hands of the almighty disposer of events. I'm just going to stop there. Uh, Apparently, in Madison's mind, there was this notion of a just cause, or what we might call today a just war. Yeah, and he's not, you know, he himself is kind of passive towards uh, deferring to Congress. Um, But certainly you have this idea that we, we need to be able to justify um, we have to have yeah. a good reason for going to war, and it's and it's got to be justified not only in the eyes of man, but in, in the eyes of God as well. Yeah. 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 One of the things you look at here, and I would say that uh, definitely you get a president like James Madison. He was a Christian, a conscious Christian mm-hmm. in, in what he did. And throughout the war, and I don't know how many times you may know, Hans, he called for uh, days of prayer and, and fasting. Ah. Yeah. Now, as this thing develops, we get into the war. Who's on whose side? Help us understand that quickly. Well, the U.S. declares war in Great Britain in June. That makes the U.S. essentially an ally of France. France. Uh, Realize that at this time, what's going on in Europe is that Napoleon assembles his Grand Armée of over 640,000 men, and he's marching into Russia. Wow, that's a lot of men. Um, which mm-hmm. will, of course, be Napoleon's downfall and the mm-hmm. basis of Tchaikovsky's 1812 overture and all kinds of things <laughs> like that. Yeah. But, uh, but the U.S. essentially becomes an ally of France. Now, they can't attack Britain itself. They have no uh, navy, really, to carry that out. They don't really have much of an army, either. But what the Americans figure they'll do is they'll invade Canada. Uh, Canada was lightly defended. There were less than 6,000 British troops in Canada. Uh, And so they figured, well, we'll invade Canada. That will be merely a matter of marching, as Thomas Jefferson said. (laughs) And uh, and then we will either hold on to Canada if they want to be part of the U.S. Remember, the U.S. had tried in the revolution Mm -hmm. unsuccessfully to conquer Canada. Mm -hmm. Or, failing that, we will hold Canada hostage and force Britain to give us what we want. Was there some feeling from the Americans toward the Canadians of assuming that the Canadians would kind of welcome our coming in or something like that? Yes, and that was yeah. mistaken. When, you know, the U.S. essentially tries to invade Upper Canada or Ontario a couple of times. And what they forgot is that Ontario was largely settled by the Loyalists, who had been forced into exile at the end the of the Loyalists. American Revolution. Yeah. So these were people who were not at all interested in being part of the United States. They had left uh, yeah. when Britain lost the revolution, and they certainly weren't uh, any more interested now than they had been then. This reminds me of something. It's just a life's lesson, I think, and that is got to be careful that you don't assume that someone thinks a certain way when, in fact, they don't. Right, And then base your decision on this presumption of understanding their inward feelings and mind. Uh, you can get yourself in a lot of trouble that way, it seems. Well, I think, you know, I mean, that's a, a very strong theological point. I think you have a lot of theology done today, done by people's gut feeling that this is the way God would that's respond. True. Instead of uh, studying the scriptures thoroughly 
and then understanding the mind of God after you've you've Mm -hmm. studied the Scriptures thoroughly. Very important. Now, um, we don't have a lot of time left today. Let's say several minutes to... uh, to conclude this, or five minutes at most, um, what should we cover yet regarding this whole war and conflict, its ultimate resolution, etc.? Well, what it basically happens is the U.S. tries several times to uh, invade Canada, um, not with a lot of success. They do burn York, which is Toronto, mm-hmm. um, and they do win some battles and they lose some battles, but it's essentially a stalemate for two years. Uh, mm-hmm. And then what happens in 1814, the spring of 1814, Napoleon is defeated, he abdicates, the war in Europe comes to an end, and now the tables turn. Britain uh-huh. can send fresh troops yes. to America, and they launch three attacks, one coming south from Canada down Lake Champlain, one coming up the Chesapeake, uh, which, of course, will burn Washington mm. and then attack Baltimore, which was the largest port city in the country at the time. Mm-hmm. And then uh, a third one, of course, uh, the mouth of the Mississippi River and New Orleans. And what will happen is that each of those attacks will be repulsed. The, uh, on September 11, 1814, the Americans defeat the British on Lake Champlain off Plattsburgh. Uh, then, of course, uh, a couple of days later, they, uh, the British uh, attack on Fort McHenry in Baltimore is repulsed, and that's, of course, where we get our national anthem, oh, yes. the Star-Spangled Star Banner. Banner. Yeah. And then, of course, in January, uh, ironically, after the peace treaty was signed, but they didn't know that at the time, uh, Andrew Jackson and his uh, motley coalition, which included a few pirates, uh, defeat the British pirates. at New Orleans. Oh, can you just tell us about the pirates quick? Why would they get together with the pirates? <laughs> Well, uh, you have to think like a pirate. You know, for Jean Lafitte, uh, yeah. if yeah. you're a pirate, whose navy do you want patrolling the Gulf of Mexico? The a best navy one. in the world or the country <laughs> that barely has a navy? It's yeah. a business decision. He knows he'd rather have the American. Yeah. Smart the pirate. And Jackson was. He was defended the place well. He understood what he needed to do. And while you can look at the battles in the St. Lawrence and Champlain, look at Baltimore, we repulsed them. Look at New Orleans. We whooped them. Yeah, I mean it was an extremely mm-hmm. decisive battle at, at New Orleans. Mm-hmm. And I think at that point, I think we gained a little bit of respect from the Brits mm-hmm. uh, when when we beat them that badly. Now that battle we did very well. Um, however, um, some would say, and probably rightfully so, that the that the war was officially over before the start of that battle. Help me understand that. Well, that's true. I mean, the Treaty of Ghent was, was signed on Christmas Eve, 1814. Right. But neither side knew it. Uh, it took a long okay. time for news to cross the Atlantic. <clears throat> and the British would have held on to New Orleans if they won that battle, yeah. treaty or no that's treaty. That's what's key here. Yeah, Castlereagh didn't, Great Britain, never recognized the Louisiana Purchase as it was, you know. And there was a lot of discussion that if Britain had won the Battle of New Orleans, they would have ceded those properties back to Spain or, as you say, kept them at least themselves. We did, however, at the end of the war. I mean, we had taken Pensacola, hmm. which was Spanish territory. Mm-hmm. We did give that back. Of course, within 10 years, we had it back. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but uh, yeah, um, Jackson actually taken that. Now, I'm just looking at the clock. We have about a minute left. Um, how about some takeaway points today? from the War of 1812? Well, I think there are a couple. One of the things, when you ever see an arrogant aggressor, and that's where we were when we went into to Canada, yes. we lost. 
You know, one of the things that God hates is arrogance and pride. And you need to have humility to realize, you know, in coming to Jesus, that you need a Savior, that you can't do it yourself. And, uh, you know, turning that around, when the Brits, uh, after Napoleon had been exiled to Elba, they send their troops over there, they're arrogantly thinking Mm. they're just going to walk all over us. Mm -hmm. And it didn't happen. Why? Because God's in control. Yeah, good point. God's in control. Good point. Yeah, I mean, you see the the arrogance of of, uh, of being a superpower, Britain, you know, in in impressing American sailors, seizing American ships, was basically acting like an arrogant superpower. We're stronger than you, so yeah. we're going to bully you and do what we want to do. Um, and that's always a danger for a, a country that's in that position. Uh, even a country today that might be in that mm-hmm. position has to be careful not to uh, yes. to have that that uh, arrogance of power. And, and this this point that constantly comes back when we get together and talk history, and that is war is declared only by Congress. Mm-hmm. And it frankly, it irks me that um, our various presidents, no matter what side of the aisle they're from, think that they can declare war and get us all tangled up in the U- U.N. and all of that. No, it's Congress that declares war. Mm-hmm. And you need a just cause, and, and you need oh, to yeah. exhaust the peaceful efforts to resolve oh, things well put. before well put. you, you know, war should be the last resort. Yeah. Well, today we've been talking about the War of 1812, and if you have any comments about today's discussion, we invite you to email us. Our address is ministry at redeemerbroadcasting.org. Today in the studio has been the Reverend Mark Diedrich, and his father is also here. His name is Bill Diedrich, as well as Dr. Hans Vogt. I'm Dan Elmendorf. Again, please email us with any questions or comments that you may have. And a reminder to join us next week at this same time for another edition of A Plain Answer. <laughs> 